Hello and welcome to the First Issue Club, a podcast reading club hyping and reviewing all the weekly talked about number one comic books. This week, we're going to talk about comics that came out on November 1st. We're going to do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ghostbusters 2. Yes, it's a number one on IDW. The Jetsons, number one, out on DC. The Grave Diggers Union, number one, out on Image. And finally, number one with a bullet. Number one. That's number one in the title. (laughs) We had to do it on Image. Who is in the club? And what was your favorite part of Thor Ragnarok? Yep, we all saw it individually. Uh, This is Greg Lichtai, and my favorite part of the movie um, was the actually the opening scene of Thor because it kind of just set the tone right from there that it was kind of going to be an action movie with uh, a heavy dose of humor when he's talking to the uh, I forget his name was it Sater Sater yeah Sater when he's talking to Sater same villain as in Moana the end oh oh for real. No, but well, that's a connected universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Caitlin Morosic, and my favorite part of Thor was Taika's voice as one of the characters. <laughs> oh, I took yours. Yeah. Um, it was amazing, and I could I could listen to the accent pretty much anytime, any movie. But I don't I don't remember his character's name, but it was like perfect comic relief. Like it was good. It was great. I'm Michael DeStacy, since Caitlin stole my favorite part of Thor. Uh, I'm going to take the part that immediately followed, where there's a little bug guy with blades for arms, (laughs) and he's just karate chopping (laughs) back and kicking right behind this whole conversation that's happening. It's so funny. I love it. This is Mike, the Budget King Russo. My favorite part was, we finally got a Hulk dick joke. Oh, oh my yes. God, I totally <laughs> forgot about that. So, yeah. Uh, made it. Obviously, we all loved this movie. It was totally great. Go check it out. That does it. So, let's get this podcast started. All right. So, yeah. I had number one with a bullet Jacob Simon. Simon? Jorge Corona. It looks like semen. It does. I was trying to get around that. Um, and so was he all through high school. <laughs> Jen Hickman and Steve Wands. Um, this story follows a production assistant named Nash Huang. She is the PA for a news-ish type talk show, maybe variety. I'm not sure. Um, it's a show with Jad Davies as the host. He's sort of a pundit. A pundit. And um, it's it's taking place in a tech-obsessed world, not unlike today. It follows her, Nash, and she's kind of trying to navigate her job, her love life, and you, you're getting little bits and pieces of, you know, the world. They, they There's advanced technology. They have reality-altering iris cams, normal iris cams, like social media and hacking, as you would see it today, where leaked photos happen, and... It features her mainly just kind of being at work and dealing with microaggressions and <laughs> violation of privacy issues, similar to what you might deal with if you go for a happy hour after work with friends. It was very odd to have these issues all trying to be tackled in sort of a mundane storyline. I mean, there are things that happen that are a little bit out of 
the norm for most people, I would hope. But the mo- for the most part, it's like it, I didn't know if it was trying to tackle too much or if it was going to sort of have this important subject matter but then have a more sinister element a la Falcon and the Blackheart thing where it's like if you're trying to do something serious, you can just do that and make it kind of more about some real stuff, but you don't need to add that sinister element of this person following her, people like trolling or stalking her online, and then maybe entering into her real life at some point. What do you do, guys think? Yeah, so when you read the the back of this, it kind of like, it reads a little bit like an art thesis of like, people are always on their phones and like, that being said, honestly, that kind of warmed me up to the idea of what the comic was doing because I felt like in some ways before there's all these like criticisms of technology kind of happening and especially like gender criticism, especially like the female, like what, what females have to go through in the technological world, which I was like, oh, this is cool. But it really it focused what the comic was trying to do for me. And then I was like, cool. And they also do this cool thing on the in the end where they're going to, like, tell stories essentially of, like, women who've been harassed in the nerd universe and, like, share their stories in, like, a really positive way, which I was like, cool. Like, I'm glad that this is doing it. They're doing that in the, in this form, I guess. Do you think comic books are the way that th- that, that that should be tackled, I guess? I think it's important that they're using people from comics to tell those stories because I think the person that they use, she wrote a few books, didn't she? She eventually wrote books. Yeah, she started cosplaying, yeah. I think. Yes. It was a good, great story, really well written. Yeah. Then, yeah, sorry, Teeny did, Howard. For the audiences, what we're, what we're referencing is the back of the book, they publish stories essentially of, of women who have experienced harassment in the nerd world. And uh, this was, yeah, a, a, a young woman who got harassed as a cosplayer. I think it was really important to have those notes at the back for context because I don't think I would have understood that that's where they were going with this overall. You, I mean... Without spoiling it, you know that there are certain heavy elements that are kind of making their way into the book, but it doesn't seem like that's what it's about about until the very end when you get to the maybe the last panel and then the last few notes yeah. sections. I had the same exact experience, and I went back and read this book a second time after having read the back, and I enjoyed it much, much more. If nothing else, I thought that the microaggressions were interesting. Her boss saying to her... Oh, you're gonna be, you're gonna go home to the missus and like kind of leering at her a little bit. It seems so commonplace when it happens to you in real life that when you read it in this book and you see it visually and it's very prominent, it stands out. It's good, I think, to see that for people because it doesn't seem like, oh, just a passing comment that then goes away with the next comment and then people forget what they just did to that person verbally because it was so subtle. That's a great point. Yeah. That's, yeah, that really hits the nail on the head for me on this comic. She is in a uh, a relationship with another woman. I don't know if they're married, although they do get called, she gets called his miss or her missus mm-hmm. or whatever. I um, think they just started living together too. Yeah. Okay. So. That's what it is. They didn't actually get married though, right? So they're probably dating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think that, how, how does it deal with uh, having a same sex couple? Very good in the same way that you mentioned with Infinity Loop, where it's ju- it just is, it's not a big deal, sort of like the technology thing. Yeah. It, I agree, they don't lean into it too much. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. You cut to home life just like you would with anyone else. A text exchange, like you're late, right. like I'm sorry. Yeah. Getting annoyed at someone scrolling through their phone while you're trying to watch a movie. Yeah. Kind of the same. 
Yeah, we had the same thing happen in eugenic too, just kind of natural uh, same-sex relationship. And I think it's interesting that comics are like one of these like first bastions of pushing like that realm forward that we I, I still feel like TV almost always gets it like awkward and the first time they introduce it and they're like wanna cliffhanger <laughs> I'm gay <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else has to process it yeah. what yeah good like gay mel- people exist a meltdown in everyone's <laughs> but brain but I couldn't tell <laughs> yeah you yeah. seem so normal oh god some some of the text well here's here's my thing I guess if a book ever operates on the premise where it's like, I'm going to make their criticism that people are on their phones too much and, like, I'm going to create a world where that gets critiqued, I'm just like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, that's so, like, mundane. Literally, like, if you were an eighth grader asked to write a creative paper, that might be something you come up with. Like, get that out of my comics. People are on their phones. Fucking deal with it. <laughs> like, that's just how people operate. Yeah, we don't need commentary on yeah. that aspect of <laughs> yeah. culture. Now. Unless it's Rugrats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but this this comic book, I felt like, it deals with technological aspects or morality, assuming that already. People are on their phones. Let's start the comic, which I like. thought was super mature mm-hmm. and fun. I think the cover is very striking, too. Uh, do you guys think there's any meaning there? How does this image relate to the I thought, story of the book? I thought about that. Let's describe that for our users. So we've got some very vibrant colors, but we're looking at our star character, Nash, right in the face. She's wide-eyed, and she's got these green, translucent hands covering her eyes. Yeah, so I think one thing about this book that's interesting, and she, the, um, sorry, the, uh, the writer of it, uh, makes the comment that this is about a little bit about augmented reality, um, virtual reality, some technologies that like is coming. And then they even reference um, like Google Glass and the Mm -hmm. phenomenon of when that got released and like what that meant for people and recording things and stuff. And so it is this like kind of uh, weird reality of like what does all of that mean? And so these green hands that are in front of her eyes, I feel like could be alluding to like this virtual reality, augmented reality. Yeah, because they're not blinding her, but they are affecting what she can see. Or how she sees it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know that I know enough about the story yet to know what that means. Because you don't know whose hands they are or what it's supposed to signify. Yeah. I think this is a deep, heavy comic with deep, heavy themes. And I think it's going to end up being a great arc. Um, but at the same time, the the read-through was a little tedious and a little disjointed in this first book. And I hope that doesn't keep people from picking this up or keep continuing to read it um, may be a good one to pick up and trade. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. All right, let's talk about Gravedigger's Union, published by Image Comics, story and art by Craig and Cypress. So in this comic, there is an international brotherhood of gravediggers who by day tend graveyards, but by night... They fight back the dead and supernatural creatures to put them back in the ground where they belong. So this Gravedigger's Union assures the world that they have this whole situation under control with fighting off the dead and these beasts. But behind the scenes, we discover more monsters and zombies are arising more frequently. And a trio of American Gravediggers break Union code by making plans to meet with a witch and try to figure out What's behind the worsening paranormal attacks? 
I thought this book was cool all the way through. Yes, I'm going to echo it and say <laughs> this book was fucking awesome, yeah. and it is exactly how you should start a comic book, yeah. and I totally recommend this book, and I, I am sad that I have not read the prelude to this, which is Black Heart? Black Hand? Black Hand. Black Hand, yeah. Um, I have not read it either. It I haven't either. I tried to find it. It was a trilogy of stories, um, and this was one of the stories in it. Definitely going to pick that up. Yeah, first appearance of the Gravedigger is probably worth a ton of money. Oh, yeah, it's just <laughs> stocks going up on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> One, we should just talk about conversation. There may be more black people as lead characters in this story than there are white people. And I love that they represent, like, a union. I'm not currently in a union. Uh, but how I would imagine a union might actually operate. And I felt like there's this bureaucratic element mm-hmm. in, that is overlaying the story that is totally fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh <laughs> <laughs> One thing to expand on that is that I think with these characters, like you're saying, very unique aspects that we don't see in a lot of starring characters. Another one of which is that these lead characters are like in their late 50s and 60s. Yeah, they're older. Yeah. What do you guys yeah. think about that? Have you read many things with older heroes? D- does that something that strikes you as less interesting or grabbing? Uh, well, didn't um, Southern Bastard, it's, that stars an aging character. And, it did. Uh uh, that character was also a badass, mm-hmm. and uh, these old salts in this are pretty tough mother effers. So I, I really enjoyed it. I, I didn't. Um, it wasn't a hang up for me. Yeah. I th- so are we to gather that the Gravediggers Union has been around for a while? Because it sounds like these guys have been doing it. They've been doing it for a very long time, and it hasn't been a problem. Yeah, because then there was, like, uh, ghost storms. They kept okay. talking about ghost storms. So that was one of the things that I found absolutely terrifying. <laughs> like, it happens right out of the bat, like, right out of the gate. And they're talking about a ghost storm off the coast of something killed 20,000 people. Yeah. And just the idea of, like, this ghost tornado, like, what, how, how, I think this is one of the notes that I had. Like, how do people function in this society like how how do you function like ghost storms are happening zombies are like even one of those things could be a post-apocalyptic story like Mm -hmm. where people just cease to be and all that's left is the ghost storm like how are there still people and how are they shopping (laughs) that's the real question oh well here's here's i love that you pointed that out because one of the heavy themes i noticed in here were a lot of real logos Real yes. retailers, yeah. and I'm kind of wondering if there's going to be some sort of commercial America or commercialization of culture brought into the storyline because well, the theme of that was just so heavy yeah. in this book. They the made that comment oil. though, didn't they? They did. The thing that I, I think they answer your question, Caitlin, by saying this shit has been going on everywhere but in America, yes. and that's why you haven't noticed, yes. right. which is so true to form. I love that, like too. Here, where it's to like, sneak that in. Yeah. Not a problem until it's a problem at home. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I love that that's it. You're right, 20,000 people died, and they're just like, oh. These people Florida, look though, like I zombies, think. too, and it's like a shopping mall. I'm like, where, why aren't you guys at home? Where are Watching your bunkers? Your yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I love that their weapons are like shovels and yes. uh, pitchforks. Scoop. The, well, oh, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, pitchforks. The excavator. Like, uh, excavator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. digging equipment. So they're actual grave diggers, like I mentioned at the top. It might not be super obvious reading this book, but they do work the graveyards, tend to the graveyards, trim the hedges, all those <laughs> things during the day. And then they're, you know, killing 
uh, vampires at night. Which, if that was at my career fair, I would be sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah! Do I need a high school diploma because I can just leave with you guys now? <laughs> I think if you if you have read Chew or if you have read I Zombie, this is the perfect like marrying of those mm-hmm. books. Where it's like Chew is kind of all. It's one of my favorites. It's all about like being funny with bureaucracy, but then actually having implications in the world. And then iZombie, obviously, is, like, being interesting about what it would like to be like a zombie. It's a television show. Totally. So this is an artist that we loved in Retcon. That's what I was going to bring up. We gushed and gushed about this uh, artist from this book, Retcon. I think we even even fantasy-picked him as our illustrator. (laughs) (laughs) This guy did, too. Did you read the notes? (laughs) I think he did. He said, like, he asked, like, Dream Team people, and they all said yes. Oh, and he wasn't going to do the book unless they said yes. And... He fucking nails it yeah. on this, too. It's so good. Yeah. Even it, the lettering in some of these. Oh, yeah. The coloring is great, too. Yeah. Like, I think that it, if you were new to comics, this might be a little bit jarring. I think this is this is the type of art that, like, people who love comics, like, really, like, kind of gush over. Mm-hmm. But it's, it. oh, it's just so well done. Yeah. That um, Trash Titan, is that what they call him? Junk Golem? Junk, junk Golem. golem. <laughs> Trash Titan, Junk Golem. I like that, too. I like that. <laughs> Great name. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. And those zombies, were they They were doing selfies? Some of them were. Some of them were saying, like, bro, bro, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so these are very modern zombies People that we're dealing with. People who recently died. Yeah. Right? Kind of creepy. It, yeah. This book was great. I kind of wish that um, this book gets very popular and they make uh, Gravedigger Union patches like, the, like oh. that you see on their uh, jackets. Yes. Because yeah. I would buy... And with the... The, the coffin with the uh, crucifix through the it. Shov- and the shovel. And the shovel, it? yeah. I actually was I was thinking, I hope this book gets popular enough that I can get the Gravedigger tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> and people will be like, oh, you got the Gravedigger in <laughs> That's how you know someone else is cool. <laughs> right. You got this book that only has one comic book out. <laughs> it's the opposite of everybody is that like normally you don't want stuff to get popular. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I still need to get my Deathly Hollows tattoo. <laughs> I have a Deathly Hollows tattoo, tattoo that turns into like an infinity symbol that turns into um, birds flying away. Ooh, does it have any um, uh, kanji in it? <laughs> it has um, some biblical verses in kanji below it. Oh, see, I gotta see that, man. <laughs> yeah, it takes up my whole back. <laughs> oh, you got a whole back piece? Yeah, like, it's yeah. huge. That's fucking huge. My friend established. did it. My friend did it in his kitchen. <laughs> oh. You've lived. Greg has lived. <laughs> it's super infected right now. <laughs> is, is, oh, it's recent. Nope. Oh, it's just <laughs> ongoing infection. Yeah, I just keep picking that scab. <laughs> All right, so the only thing cooler than the Gravediggers Union is Greg's tattoo. <laughs> Which we will post pictures of on the Instagram and Twitter. Ooh, yeah. New Instagram. New launched. Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, super stylish. And it uh, lets you know the books we're going to be reading the next week. With quote, cool and quote. some fun trivia. Yep. Yeah, stay in the loop. Follow us on Instagram, First Issue Club Podcast. All right, up next we got Jetsons number one out on DC. This is part of the Hanna Barbera series. I believe this is a one of six. The author, I need, I need to, I don't know the author and illustrator. Jimmy Palmati. And Pierre Brito. Uh, the Jetsons is a new Hanna-Barbera comic out on DC uh, that stars the famous Jetsons from the comic book, or sorry, from the cartoon series that was famous. 
uh, and they are. We now meet them in their uh, skinny and taller forms <laughs> above ground uh, doing their perspective um, sci-fi-y jobs and uh, really just Jetson's world but not spoiler alert the arc of this comic is that there is an impending doom that will end the planet and uh, Jane could save it or not and then we kind of just get all the stories in between about the Jetsons did I hit it as far as in? I think so, yeah. One one thing that struck me as super interesting about this book was that uh, Jane is the breadwinner. Yeah, Jane has a fucking job. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, very cool, right? She was just like the, you know, 50s housewife mm-hmm. in the cartoon. In this book, George still has the kind of like blue collar, go to work, do the grind sort of job. But Jane is this like brilliant politician or scientist that's like, you know, trying to save the world. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was a really cool deviation. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, El- Elroy is super cool. He's still uh, almost not interested in girls. And it's just like... <laughs> They're interested in him. Right. And I don't but know, he's still I, somehow at the heart of whatever is happening. Right. And like figuring it out sort of just by being exploratory. Like... Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember this from the cartoon, but Elroy was like... This super kind of like n- non-typical uh, like boy character. Like a lot of times we'd get like Bart, who's just like rebel without a cause, like you know figuring out things. Elroy was like super endearing, like really like nice, loved mm-hmm. his father, yeah, very and, like, respectful, yeah, and, and and that's the same character we get, which yeah. I, I thought was super cool. Yeah, George calls his boss and he says like, "Sorry, Mister Spacely, like I'll." You know, whatever, I'll be, I'll do that thing. Imagine if there was, if your boss's name was Mr. Earthy. <laughs> <laughs> or just like the name of the planet, realm, Mr. Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, why? That is, yeah. <laughs> you can't change his name, though. If they changed right. Mr. Like, they Spacely's have flying name. cars. We don't need his name to actually have space in it. Yeah. This we get is, it. It's like the whole Speed Racer thing. Like, his name was Speed Racer. That's, yeah. That's Who, his God-given name. Yeah, they, his parents wanted him to drive Race. cars. <laughs> yeah. It would have been a disappointment if he was, like, a dental I, tech. It's not that. It's not that weird. I named my daughter Super Rich Lawyer. <laughs> right, yeah. I was working out for you. <laughs> the Budget great. King yeah. and Super Rich Lawyer. <laughs> <Dot> com. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a like a sitcom. <laughs> the Budget King and Super Rich Lawyer. Um, one thing I loved about this comic book is it gave the story, the backstory, which I'm not sure the Jetsons ever did, as to why they exist above ground and, like, future and why the, the Earth below them is, like, non-inhabitable. Yeah, yeah. that's. A, I was wondering if that was ever even mentioned in the book, but I or the cartoon, I but so. I'm pretty sure we were just taking it that this was the future and people lived in space. Yeah. In the cartoon, it, right? I also think, so I, I actually surveyed a handful of people, and I just would be like, what do you... Tell me, thorough. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I got to do this podcast right. We're professional. <laughs> and I, I just would say, what do you, tell me about the Jetsons. What do you, what do you remember? Right? Yeah. And a, one thing they would always say is like, it was like the Flintstones, but it was in space. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they would say, didn't they have a robot made? Oh, fuck. Uh, was coming. That's what, what a, that was one of the things that I had highlighted. 
what was her name? The robot maid in the Rosie. Cartoon. Rosie. Rosie. But I think somebody calls her Rosie in they this do. at least She's once. still Rosie. But oh, but yeah. tell she tell is George's <laughs> mother who has opted to end her life in her physical body suicide early <laughs> so that her consciousness can be ported over into this robot made thing that's going to live with the Jetsons in perpetuity. Right. And so it, who, like, God God bless our in-laws and we love them to death. Would you want to live with your, like, mother-in-law forever? So <laughs> it has to have happened very recently because George is asking her a ton of questions as if he is processing it with us. Like... The only and, explanation is this is written by DC, so there has to be this existential <laughs> like, crisis happening well, in there. But so, he's not mourning. No, he's just confused, which that was kind of what I thought was... George is always kind of what I remember from the Jetsons. He's always kind of like goofy, childlike, sort of... He does his job well, sort of, but he, there's always some sort of hijinks or he's like clumsy or kind of a goof. Mm-hmm. This was the only part of this book that really made him seem just as childlike or confused or yeah. stumbling because he doesn't get what his mom is going through or what the process is like and she, she's having to kind of guide him through like she explains it this in is a really what good just detail. happened yeah she did they spent four pages on this fucking but thing you would this think, was dense but you would think that she heavy, just kind of right? showed up on their doorstep like yeah. hello because <laughs> like he has dead. no he has no clue what has just happened? It She's, seems like. Didn't they eat their food with pill by pills, pill form in the cartoon? Yeah, that sounds familiar. There were there were things in every episode that's like, oh, that's how it is in the future. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure they did at some point. Socks that dry themselves. Um, a well, room that's a forest, which by the way was super cool. Ooh, yeah, that's yeah. Judy's yeah. room now. Did <laughs> Elroy accidentally <laughs> expedite yes. the catastrophe? Yes, is that did. what I saw? Uh-huh. Because like, he knocked into something ship. with I the ship? I think that's what we're supposed to infer, yeah. Okay. Good going. He's <laughs> giving Good away going. everything in this book. You guys, I am revved to see what painting he stole. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For so his he, dad. Yeah, he what steals did, a painting from the MoMA for his dad's birthday. What is George like? I kind of thought it would be Impressionist, like some Monet. I think it's a Caravaggio. From we, the MoMA, though? We see a Van yeah, Gogh just uh, turn to dust oh, yeah. in oh. Elroy's hands. Yeah. And he was like, what a shame. It's like Starry yeah. Night, yeah. Van who? <laughs> Van, there it goes. Van, see you later. Van. <laughs> Great improv Van Gogh joke. Oh, no. Bravo. <laughs> I thank you. I thank you. <laughs> That's my friend Greg over there. I liked Van, see you <laughs> he later. He said with a smile on his face. Van, see ya. <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to cover Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Ghostbusters 2, number one. <laughs> In case that's not confusing enough. Uh, it's written by Eric Burnham and Tom Waltz and art by Dan Shonen. So, uh, this is a continuation of the first time that the Ninja Turtles and Ghostbusters hooked up. Uh, all because the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were messing around with some uh, teleportation technology and kind of zapped themselves into the dimension where the Ghostbusters are a part of. 
So this is just riddled <laughs> with confusion <laughs> and multidimensional travel. And uh, so let's just get into it. So the one the, uh, thing that was apparent to me about this book was in the 90s, groups of four men fighting some type of crime or male male figures this happens in like i think mighty mice from mars uh the cowboys of moo mesa um street sharks yeah street sharks are also they're all four (laughs) they're all four men four male characters and they're differentiating personalities are their interests Mm -hmm. And, and right yes and and so like to me i just like oh god what was i like what what am i about my whole livelihood is based on like shallow, per- like I was defining myself by being friendly or into nunchucks because of these people. <laughs> yeah. But that's that. what I was going to say is they're all kind of the same because oh, they yeah. do a team up where like Peter and Rav are like talking and then you've got Winston and Leo and Egon and Don and Ray and Mikey and like they're, you could see how they're kind of similar to the point where, yeah. I mean, they're putting them together. And they it's each like, found okay, their counterpart of. That's so obvious now that you guys mentioned it and completely went over my head. (laughs) But I I will say, though, that I was so bored by, like, the back half of this where we got into those sort of, like, pairing ups because I expected this book to be super fun, super funny, Mm -hmm. filled with a lot of jokes. But for the most part, tell me if you disagree, I think this book gave you a bunch of made up science and made up science <laughs> terms and just talked about the theoretics of like their dimensions colliding and it's like who ca- who cares <laughs> no. well yeah cuz like the first time they met it was that's that story arc's actually pretty fun cuz it's Is like it? them just meeting each other for the first time and the wackiness of yeah. that i feel like they are trying to go bigger and like above and beyond their yeah. fr- so they're, they're they're just making it more complex a little They're, more seriously toned. Yeah, a little more serious. They're trying to interweave storylines that exist out of this book. So it's harder to kind of understand the motivations and kind of the backstory for even these characters right now. Because uh, we open up and the turtles are in Dimension X. Why the fuck are they in Dimension X right now? What is Dimension X to people that don't know anything about the turtles? No idea. It's just uh, you need to be a cultured Ninja Turtles and Ghostbusters aficionado to kind of really That's into this asking book. a lot, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, speaking of this, there is a like uh, compass rose uh, at the beginning that gives the like essentially the roadmap of everything. Without that, I would have been so same. Lost. Mm-hmm. I l- that without that page, I would have been completely gone. Yeah, yep. this is and I and I think this a lot, and I have I have friends that like Raphael. But Raphael is just such a lame character. He's just like... Yeah, it, get him the fuck out of he's here. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's like we're going to put all the emotions that the Turtles would have and we're going to put them into Raphael. He's angry. He's sad. Like, he's just... He's so fucking emo. And just like... How how on earth could he be part of that team? I had that I exact don't. same thought. Go ahead. In all... In all the movies, <laughs> he's exactly the same. Right. I hate him all the time. He's the kind of guy that asks... Uh, he asks what your favorite band is, and then he says they suck. Right. <laughs> oh, you like the Talking Heads? They suck. And then he has to go. And then he has to go reflect. Yeah, but and they be always alone. they always have to go like yeah, bring him back. He also has the worst weapon. Yeah, sigh. Yeah, yeah. Which is just like some forks. <laughs> <laughs> Who's in that was... respect? He's nothing like Bankman. I will say that. 
Yeah. No. Love, love just, me they're, some Vinkman. They're both just assholes, though. Yeah. But yeah. Vinkman's like a friendly, funny asshole. Yeah. yeah. He's funny. Where Raph is just like, I just, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't I like anything if it's not about he me like and how sh- great I am. He's like that short temper and, and, and yeah. really sorry about it. <laughs> oh, but not immediately. He, yeah. Definitely led as a kid. <laughs> he probably slammed his door a lot to his bedroom. He never got hugged. That's yeah. for sure. We can Get this book if you want it. <laughs> I'm guessing you don't. <laughs> but I do. So I'm going to. You, you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. And that does it for this week's podcast. Covered a lot of books. And next week, we're going to attempt to do Coyotes, number one, out on image. Port of Earth, number one, out on image. Force, number one. I don't know who's doing that book. But Action, Action Lab. Lab. There we go. <laughs> Looks nuts. And uh, Kong on Planet of the Apes. Get ready for that one, folks. Boom, boom, boom. With the uh, asterisk addendum of crazy stuff happens. There's sometimes books that we don't know are coming out. We walk through the shop. We'll be posting on Twitter, so hit us up there if you want to read along with us. Still waiting on John Wick. Yep. He's God. <laughs> All right. And that does it for this week's podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for listening. We love you. Our podcast is a proud participant of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. We are recorded in KCUR Studios. Our sound, our music is provided by Primary Color Music. And that's it. This is Budget King. See ya. Greg Lichtai, signing off. Caitlin Rossack, I'll show myself out. Michael DeStacy, bye-bye, babies. Bye.